Well, good morning, White Oak, and welcome to August. It is so good to be here with you in person. Uh, this is the third week that we've been back with live teaching from the stage and, uh, and live worship, and, and it's just uh, really good to continue to be able to, to do this together. Every week that we've been here at Coleraine, we've had somebody new come uh, for the first time since we've been back gathering, so people who have found us online or through different various ways and who show up every week, and so just uh, God is continuing to do something here as we have people who are worshiping online and as we have people who are worshiping together in the midst of everything that we are going through. So it is truly good to be here with you today. As Nathan said, we are beginning a brand new series today called Yours is the Kingdom, and it is a phrase-by-phrase look at the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible with you, Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be for most of the morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible app and you want to go ahead and get there, um, that's where we're going to be. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us some instructions on how we should talk to God. Prayer is always essential, but there's times when it is absolutely critical. Most of us have experienced those moments, those drop-to-your-knees moments, those moments where prayer is the only response in a situation. I believe that right now, right now in our world with COVID and with everything that's going on politically in our country, with the election that's coming up, with the, with the unrest that we are dealing with, that right now we are in a time where prayer is critical So there's some pivotal moments that we deal with, and we've kind of divided them up for you. We're going to talk about three pivotal moments that we go through, and Nathan kind of alluded to these in his talk. The first one is significant decisions. You know, those big choices we have to make. Maybe for you and your family, one of the things that you've been talking about is, should our kids go back to in-person education Or should we go to online? That's a big thing that is weighing on people's minds. Maybe uh, you're dealing with, you know, hey, should I ask this person to marry me or not? Should we move, right? Should I take that job? Whatever it is, we know that we have significant decisions that we deal with on a daily basis. And those are moments where prayer is critical. Another thing we deal with is an uncertain future. How scary is it for you when you don't know what's next? Maybe you or a loved one lost a job during COVID and you're not sure what you're going to do. There are times when things are just not clear. And in those moments, we rely heavily on prayer. So we've got significant decisions. We've got uncertain future. We've got difficult circumstances. Calls from your doctor heartbreak, any time when life just doesn't seem to be going your way. When prayer is not an option, it seems like the only option. I remember there was a time when a few years back where I was working on a project in my basement and so we had ran to Home Depot, my father and I, to pick up some sheetrock, some drywall. And uh, so we got the drywall from Home Depot, and we took it to my house, and we loaded it into my basement. And, uh, and I thanked my dad, and I sent him home. And uh, later on that night, around midnight, 
I got a call from my dad, and I could tell he was panicked, and, and he just didn't seem like himself, and I asked him if he was okay. He's like, I'm not sure. And I was like, Dad, are you having a heart attack? And he says, I think I am. And, and so I raced over to help him to get to the house, and I take him to the hospital. And uh, I forgot to mention this first service. Everything turned out to be great. My dad got a stent put in. And, but, but I just remember... In that moment, in the car, with my dad sitting next to me on the way to the hospital, praying. Like I had never really prayed before. Because in the midst of a difficult circumstance, prayer was my only outlet. And so we see that during these significant decisions and these uncertain futures and these difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in, that these are pivotal moments. And you know, the truth is we don't always see them as pivotal when we're in the midst of them. Usually it's much later that we'll look back and say, you know what, that, that was a pivotal moment. I believe that right now, in the state of our country and just where we are as a world, We are in a pivotal moment that is going to be, that is going to be huge as we look back on this time. These are pivotal times we're in. Prayer is always essential, but there are times when it is absolutely critical. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives instructions on prayer. Both on what not to do and then later on what to do when talking to God. So let me ask you, how are you at taking instructions? It's funny how it depends sometimes on the person who's delivering the instructions, how we respond. I'll give you an example. Maybe for you, it could be your spouse. All right. So if I'm traveling on a trip with my wife... I like to have the GPS pulled up on my phone so that I can see it. Uh, but there's certain times where maybe she has the address or there's something going on, and so she pulls it up on her phone. Those moments give me anxiety, all right? Uh, I like being able to see it. I like having it in front of me. I like it being, you know, I've got the like phone mount thing. And I just like it right there. Now, Katie can have the same app open on her phone, and she can be reading to me the exact same instructions that I would have in front of you. But for some, I need therapy, you know, deep-seated reason. It grates on me when she gives me those instructions. I don't know what it is. I've got problems. So, uh, how do you deal with getting instructions? Another circumstance that we'll find ourselves in, maybe we know where we're going. Right? We've been to this place a hundred times before. And as I come up to a turn that we need to make, Katie will point as if I've forgotten where we need to go to remind me. And I don't care that I'm distracted and maybe I was about to miss that turn. I don't want her pointing it out to me. I feel better. Thank you for letting me share with you all of my issues that, uh, that I deal with. But you see that accepting directions for us sometimes can be difficult. And so when Jesus begins to lay out a plan for us on how we should pray, how are we going to take that? How do we accept the instruction that Jesus gives on how we live our life? That's a critical question that we need to ask ourselves. What is our approach to accepting direction from Jesus? 
Answering that question is going to be a huge step forward for us as we try to consider what it is that we are going to get from this series, right? How we're going to move forward. How we hear the words of Jesus and how we accept them into our heart and how we begin to live them out is going to be critical for understanding what Jesus wants for us. So as we begin this, right, as we begin this, we we want to see that Jesus has began with this how to pray, right? Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 6 sharing with us how we should pray. And so I want to pull open Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 because this kind of sets the context for this conversation that Jesus is having with his followers on how to pray. We're going to have it up on the screen. I'll, I'll read it here for you. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5. So Jesus begins, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. Jesus says, I don't want you to be like the hypocrites. I don't want you to be like the hypocrites because they love to be seen by people. Jesus is talking about the religious leaders of the time, some of the most respected people that would have been in Jesus' community. The people who, kind of, if they had a church, right, they had the temple, but if their gatherings, these were the most respected people. And Jesus says, you know, don't pray like them. I mean, really, it would be in the 20th century, 21st century, it would be as if Jesus says, hey, you know all those preachers and teachers at your churches? Don't pray like them. And we would sit back and say, well, I thought those were the people I was supposed to emulate. I thought those were the people I was supposed to pray like. And Jesus says, no, no, don't pray like them. He uses this word hypocrite, which is a a word that's used in theater. It's got this idea that they love to be seen and that they're playing a part, that they're acting this out, that none of it is real. And so Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to be like that. He continues on in verse 6. He says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, you know, instead of going out on the street corners and praying, instead of going out in front of everybody, he says, what I want you to do is, is I want you to go into your room and I want you to lock the door and I want you to do it in private. And so Jesus is changing the narrative when it comes to prayer. He continues on in verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. The people of Israel had prayers for everything. They had the Shema that they prayed every morning and every evening. The word Shema simply means hear. And they had this prayer that began, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe that's familiar for you. You've heard that before. Well, that was a prayer, a famous prayer that they had. And they would say it every morning when they woke up. They would say it every evening when they went to bed. They would actually say it as a greeting as they walked down the street and they ran into each other. You know what I mean? It was just one of those things that got triggered for them. They would just automatically say it. And anytime we have something like that, there's a chance that we begin to say it without really thinking about it. And so while it's this beautiful prayer, 
it, it can become rehearsed and it can lose its meaning. And so Jesus says, don't just keep on talking and babbling and just saying words that have no meaning. He says, uh, the Lord knows what you want, right? He says in verse 8, he says, do not be like them for the, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so Jesus is teaching against the, the time in which he's living. He's teaching against kind of the way that people were accustomed to praying. It's funny, what, what Jesus follows with is the Lord's Prayer. And maybe you're familiar with that. We're going to go verse by verse with that in this series. But this model prayer that Jesus gives to them. After he says, you know, I, I don't want you to be hypocrites who just pray things that you don't live out. He says, I don't want you to just keep on babbling things that you don't think about. He says, I want you to really think about what you're going to say. And this is what I want you to pray. And he, and he gives this Lord's Prayer. The thing, the very thing that he uses as a teaching mechanism to say, don't pray like this, has become the very thing that he taught against. Lord's Prayer is a prayer that we use, that we recite, that gets used at events all the time, sporting events or different things. Teams say it in huddles. And I got to think that there are moments when it just gets said, just gets repeated, something we've memorized. And we say it without really thinking about what it means. And so the very thing that Jesus was talking about not doing becomes the very thing that we begin to do. And so what we want to do, what we really want to do in this series is to slow down and to examine what Jesus says so we can better understand what he wants us to see and what we can begin to do. And so we're going to go verse by verse. And so today we're only going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, that part of the prayer. And this is what it says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the beginning of the prayer. This is how Jesus wants us to pray. Our Father. Look, Jesus begins by calling God Father. And Jesus, up until this point, has been using the term Father for God, which was pretty radical. All right? God's referred to as Father a few times in the Old Testament, but the consistency in which Jesus begins to call God Father would have been unheard of. It was different. But Jewish scholars have looked through Scripture and other Jewish writings from the time, and they believe that this is the first time in recorded history that a prayer is offered where God is called Father. So what's that mean? What does Jesus say when he calls God Father? It defines an intimate relationship. See, it's different. Uh, for thousands and thousands of years, they viewed God as being far away. They viewed God in a different way. And Jesus begins to refer to God as Father. And that paints a much different picture of God. Think about it. What is your relationship like with God? See, the idea of God being our Father is not really new for us. But it would have been revolutionary for the people in Jesus' time. But even though we've heard God referred to his father for 
for most of our life? Do we really live like God is our Father? Think about that, that intimate relationship. Many of us have adopted a partnership with God. We see ourselves as partners. I have my part that I do. Okay, I got to live a good life. I got to follow certain rules. I got to live a certain way. That's my part, God. And then we see God as having a part. Well, God, you're going to take care of me. You're going to do the things that I need done. And when we do our part, man, I'm, I'm living right. I'm doing the right kind of things. But then we feel like that God hasn't delivered on his part. We start to ask questions. Like, hey, God, I did those things. Like, I'm doing the things you want me to do. So why the sick kids? Why the loss of my job? Why is the world upside down? God, you're not following through on your part. I did my part, God. And so when we see ourselves in a partnership like that with God, we misunderstand who God is. God is our Father. And as we're going to talk about a little bit later, he's not responsible to answer to us. I mean, think about it. If if our relationship with God is like a CEO, a CEO is inaccessible to normal people. God as a Father, as children of God, we have access. And imagine if you have a guy who's working in a big corporation, big CEO. He's got an administrative assistant that sits out in front of his office and she screens his phone calls and makes sure that only the people with appointments get in to see him. Normal Joe Schmo calls up to try to get on the phone with this guy and and he's going to get the runaround. Is Mr. Smith in? I'm sorry, he's not taking calls at this moment. But what changes when that assistant hears on the other end of that phone, hey, is my dad in? What happens? Access, an intimate relationship. Everything is different. And so we have God as a father. And I don't know what your relationship with your father is like, I know that it varies from every person in here. But know that when Jesus is referring to God as the father of all, that it is in this best, beautiful way. I think we can all imagine, even if we've had bad father experiences, we can imagine what a good father is like. And that's what Jesus is referring to. When I think about my father, I think about the fact that he was always there for me. He always showed up and still does. I pick up the phone, I make a phone call and say, Dad, I need your help. He drops what he's doing and he's there when I need him. And when I translate that to God and think that God, my father, is there for me, that he's willing to drop other things to be there when I need him, And that gives me a lot of comfort. Knowing that God would do the same as my dad. That he's always there for me. Like I said, I don't know what your relationship with your dad is like. But know that when we call God Father, 
that it is in the best possible way. So he says in this prayer, Our Father in heaven. Jesus makes a point to clarify that God is in a realm beyond us. He is not necessarily here where we are. It's not that God's not with us, but he is beyond us. We exist in this linear space where time constrains us. We can only see these limited things, these things that are right in front of us. Imagine it like this. God sits above and he can see all of time laid out, the past and the present and the future. And so while we only see in part, God sees the full story. And that changes everything. It gives God a perspective that we simply cannot have. It's as if God sees everything laid out before him. Trying to understand what all that means is difficult, but it gives God a perspective that we simply cannot have. In the Old Testament, there lived a man named Job. And to keep this short, let me tell you, Job had some bad things happen to him. Right? His children died. He had sores all over his body. He lost all of his wealth. And, and during this time, towards the end of the book of Job, found in the Old Testament, Job began to be like a lot of us would be. He began to question God about his suffering. He began to ask that question that we sometimes ask, that why God question. And so as Job begins to find himself questioning God, God turns the tables. He doesn't like the fact that Job is going to question him. And so in Job chapter 38, verses 2 and 3, we begin God to see God respond to Job. Check out what he says here. He says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, God says, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Job says, Hey, you got questions? Sit down. Let me ask you some questions. He tells Job to brace himself like a man. Let me tell you, you do not want God to tell you to brace yourself. This is not going to go well for Job. Okay? And so that's how God responds to him. And so then in chapter 38, verses 4 and 5, God says this. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me. If you understand, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? He says, where were you, God? Where were you, Job, when I created this planet? When I set it on its axis? When I measured out its width? He says, do you know how all this works? Do you know how many snowflakes are going to fall on the planet this year? Basically saying, who are you, Job? He says, you're not God. And I take comfort in this. I take comfort in knowing that God sits on a throne above us and that he is in control of everything. What God didn't do was he didn't sit Job down and say, Job, let me tell you a little story. Let me tell you about how a year from now your life is going to be much, much better. About how all the things that you lost are going to come back to you. Let me just tell you, Job, if you're patient, things are going to work out for you. God didn't tell him that. He didn't say, hey, Job, let me tell you about a year, 2020. World's going to be in a messed up place and people are going to gather in person and online. You don't even know what that means, but people are going to gather 
and they're going to tell the story of your life. People thousands and thousands of years from now, Job, are going to take a look at your life, your resilience, your faithfulness, and they're going to be encouraged by what you do. God didn't tell him that. God just peeled back the curtain just a little bit and said, you know what, Job? I'm God, and you're not. And you need to be okay with that. That God says, Job, I'm in control. The world is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And it may seem like it is out of control, but it's not out of God's control. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 says this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heaven are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God tells us right here in the book of Isaiah, the way that I think is not the same way you think. The way that I act is not the same way that you're going to act. My ways are higher than your ways. God is beyond us. He sees things that we cannot see. He understands things that we cannot understand. And again, I take comfort in knowing that he's God and I am not. So in Job chapter 40, verse 4, Job hears all of this and he responds back to God. And he just simply says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? He says, I put my hand over my mouth. Job says, I'm going to be silent now. I don't have anything left to say when confronted with the fact that you're God and I'm not. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 says this. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. It's not a word that we use much today. It has its root in the word holy, which doesn't really help us much because we don't use that word a lot. And when we do use it, we don't use it correctly. And so what is Jesus saying when he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name? It simply means to be set apart. But not just set apart. It means the most sacred thing that you set apart. It means a name that is above any other name. It means to be holy, right? The ultimate sacred thing. Our Father. We have an intimate relationship with God. In heaven, he's above us and beyond us. He is the creator of the universe. Hallowed be your name. There is no other. The name that is above all other names. We've been given access through Jesus to our Father God, who dwells in a place beyond this place, whose thoughts are above our thoughts, whose ways are beyond our ways. He's our Dad, and His name is Holy. Because there is no one else like Him, because He is the one and only true living God. This is how Jesus opens his prayer. Eight words, a few phrases, but full of power and insight. And I don't know what your prayer life has been like leading up to this point. Maybe it's powerful. Maybe it's just at meals and at bedtime. Maybe it lacks real substance. 
Maybe it's just been blah. Maybe it's non-existent. Whatever your current prayer life is like, Jesus offers more. More intimacy, more access, more power. And my hope is that in seeing the words today of the Lord's Prayer come to life, that it will encourage you to consider how you pray and who exactly it is that you are praying to. At the beginning of today, we, we talked about the times that we're living in. Things in our world are not simple. Things in our world are not easy. And maybe you've been having these Job moments where you've been asking God, why? Why are we dealing with this? Why are we going through this? And maybe today serves as a reminder that in the midst of all of it, that God is still in control. Amen? That in the midst of everything that we're dealing with, in the midst of everything that we're seeing, that God sits on a throne and that God is in control. When I was in college, during some of those pivotal times that we talked about where you got major decisions that you got to make, I started getting into a habit where my prayer life changed. I recognized that I needed more, kind of like Nathan was describing in the disciples where they just asked Jesus to teach us how to pray. I just knew that I was lacking something. And so I began as I would enter the interstate to go to college every day. I was commuting to school. When I would get on the highway, I'd turn my radio off, and I just started having a conversation with God. Started talking out loud in the car. And it was different for me. It was weird at first. But for the first time in my life, I began having an authentic and real conversation with God about what was going on in my life. About my fears, my insecurities, my struggles, my hopes, and my dreams. And it began to change the way I viewed God in the way of you prayer. And I think that that's what Jesus is doing. He's challenging the way that the disciples, his followers, see prayer. He says, you, you've been going through this ritual. You've been going through this thing, but there's nothing real in it. And Jesus wants real, raw. Here it is. And so I challenge you today. Just to consider, what what does your prayer life look like? Not just praying at meals, but talking to God about your life and about your fears and about your hopes and about your insecurities. Knowing that you have a God who is your Father in heaven that wants to hear for you. And so whatever your prayer life is like, know that Jesus wants more. More for you. Prayer is always essential, but there's times when it is absolutely critical. Because of Jesus, we have access to the creator of the universe. We get to call him Father, and he cares for you and for me, and he wants to hear from us. There is only one living God in heaven, and we get to call him dad. And so today, the challenge is to consider. 
how your prayer life may change when you recognize who it is that you're praying to and what it is that he really wants to hear from you. In the midst of this series, we we are offering up an opportunity for our whole church family, for anybody really, to engage with us. Lord's Prayer is found in the book of Matthew, and so what we've done is we've put together a reading plan that goes day by day through the book of Matthew, starting tomorrow. Chapter 1, tomorrow. And so what we've got is a, um, a keyword, kingdom, that you can text in. I think we're going to throw this slide up here. Text kingdom to 513-715-8111. And that will get you signed up for daily prompts that will give you the chapter you're supposed to be reading that day, a verse within that chapter to kind of focus on, and a guided prayer prompt, something to be praying about. And this could be a game changer for us here as we think about the month of August, coming all together, reading through the book of Matthew, which is a book that just describes the life of Jesus. As we think about our prayer life and as we think about the state of our world today where we say, you know what, we're going, if, if anything's going to change here, it's going to be because we have engaged God in prayer. And so we're asking you, text the word kingdom to this number. You can do it right now if you want. Earlier I saw some people taking pictures of it so they could do it later. That's fine too. But how cool would it be if we were just reading the book of Matthew together, praying together, doing this daily devotion together as we think about what God wants for our future. Again, and I don't, I don't know where your prayer life has been. I don't know what your view of God has been. But I take comfort in knowing that I have a Father in heaven whose name is Holy, who is above any other name. We're about to sing a song that that talks about that idea, that God is, is so above us, so worthy of our praise, that he is a name above any other name. Would you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, I thank you so much for today, for the opportunity that we have to be here in your presence today, God. I am so thankful that you are God and that I am not. That you are my Father and that we have full access to you through the death of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.